0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. How is everyone this morning? Good morning? It is wonderful to have you guys here. If you have your Bibles, if you would go ahead and turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter six. 2 Corinthians chapter six. Uh, while you're doing that, uh, I would like to just say welcome to those that are joining us online. Those that are joining us over in Wills Point, we're glad that you're there, spending some time with us this morning. My name is Cody King, and I'm the campus pastor here in Edgewood, and it's a joy to share. In God's word with you this morning. Now if you've gotten there to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, um, mark that spot, now turn to Psalm 1. We're going to be in both of those two places at the be- beginning of our time this morning, but I want to begin with Psalm 1 and then we'll flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now in Psalm 1, um, as you're turning there, um, Psalm is, you know, is... is as you may know, if you've, if you've grown up in the church or you're familiar with your Bible, it's the longest book of the Bible, and it's full of praise, it's full of worship, it's full of, of prayers to God in times of need and times of uh, where you may find people at um, times where things are better, but you also find many, many scripture and songs in there where people are at their worst. Uh, but at the very beginning of it, the book begins... In an interesting way to me, and I want to look at that together this morning. So, Psalm one, verse one, um, the psalmist says, "Blessed is the man." Now, the word "blessed" there in the Hebrew it is "asher," and it's most often used as an interjection, but the word literally means "how happy." So he says, "How happy is the man?" So, how happy is the man, or how is a man happy? Look what follows. He says, "Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night." So the picture here is: as you have a man, and, and the psalmist says, "How happy is this man when he doesn't walk towards the wicked, when he doesn't stand with the sinner, and when he doesn't sit with the scoffer." The idea is when he turns from sinfulness and wickedness and he turns to God's Word and he delights in God's Word, he meditates on God's Word, then he finds happiness. He finds blessing there. So simply put, a man is happy when he turns from wickedness and he turns from sin and he turns to God. Now flip with me if you mark that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says this, and note the similarity And what he says, Paul says, starting in verse 14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? He says, What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols, for we are the temple of the living God? So you see this, this, this contrast that Paul is laying out, very similar to the psalmist. That happy is the man who turns from his sin and he turns and delights in God. Paul writes and he gives us contrast between believers and unbelievers. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't partner with them. What fellowship was like with darkness? What agreement has a temple of God with idols? But then he says, for we are the temple of the living God. And God said this, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And as we look at what God says there, there's a great comfort that we ought to find in that he lays out for us how we come to him and we enjoy him and become sons and daughters of him, how he may be a Lord to us and a father to us. Thus says the Lord Almighty. When we read those words in God's word, that's him telling us a promise that is placed before us and that we can rest in that thing. But then... 7, 1, in 2 Corinthians there, he says this. He says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So this forms the process of our holiness. As Peter says in 1 Peter two sixteen. he says, quoting the Lord himself, he says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So the Lord promises, if you turn from these things and you turn to me, you're going to be my sons, you're going to be my daughters, I'm going to be your God, I'm going to be a father to you. But when this happens, he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. But this only happens when we turn from that sin that defiles us and we turn to a holy God that cleanses us. And the results, church, is a share. How happy. What we find here is we find that our happiness is tied to our holiness. It's not something that exists apart from that thing. As we turn from sin and we turn to God, Scripture tells us that we will find blessing, we will find happiness in that thing, and it's when we come into that relationship with our Father as a son and daughter according to His promise. Now there's a difference between a worldly happiness and a biblical happiness. See, the world, in the world, happiness is dependent upon our circumstances, right? And our circumstances can change moment by moment, which means our happiness can change moment by moment. When we have a bad day, we don't feel happy. Whenever we're at our worst, we certainly don't feel happy. But as circumstances change, we we can go up, we can come down, up and down, up and down. But biblical happiness is contingent and dependent purely on our holiness. And our holiness is purely dependent on how much we turn away from sin and we turn to a holy God. So there's a distinction between those two things. So now in light of Psalm 1 and 2 Corinthians 7 1 and the relationship of our holiness and our happiness, I want to recap real quick. In this series, for better or worse, we've looked at the design and the purpose of marriage. Last week we looked at at marriage as our ministry, two weeks ago we looked at, looked at whenever we're at our worst, that's the place where God would use to make us holy, right? And we looked at God's design for marriage is, is not to make us happy, but it's to make us holy. And we looked to several qualities that we should seek to live out to be made holy. But we found that in times that we're at our worst, God uses those to make us holy, but if I'm always perfect, how is my wife ever given opportunity to grow in her Christ-likeness in the way she shows me grace? Likewise, if my wife never fails in her love for me, on what condition do I ever have opportunity to unconditionally love her as Christ unconditionally loved me? So that was the idea, is that when we're at our worst, God uses those times to bring about holiness in us. But now the idea is, is that, as we increase in holiness in those times we're at our worst, as, we, as that holiness increases, it should move us from that time of being at our worst to times where we're at our best. And as holiness increases within us, as the Lord does this work in us, we should find that we will be existing on the other side of for better and worse more and more often. And the longer we're at our best, the less amount of time we're at our worst. But that doesn't mean that we leave holiness over here We find that holiness exists in both areas. But you and I desire to be happy. But happiness exists whenever we're at our best, right? Or for better or worse, which side of that do we find happiness? From a worldly happiness. It's most certainly going to exist when we're at our best, not when we're at our worst. But as we increase, like a supply and demand curve, as we increase in holiness, our happiness will increase because we're at our best instead of at our worst. So happiness then is not tied to our circumstances as is often the case. It is tied directly to our holiness. Now turn with me to Ecclesiastes 9.9 and I want to look at what God's word says regarding our happiness, but as it pertains specifically to our marriage. In Ecclesiastes 9.9, Solomon says this. He says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life, That is, that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So Solomon says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your life. Now this is Solomon. Now I'm not sure exactly when Solomon wrote this. I don't know if it was before he had 500 wives and 700 concubines or I don't know if it was after and he realized the foolishness of of doing that thing. But nonetheless, the wisest man that has ever lived according to Scripture's account of him tells us to enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Now, in context of chapter 9 there in Ecclesiastes, the, the beginning portion of it, Paul is speaking about the fleeting nature of our lives. Specifically, he's, he's, he's pointing out that we are all going to eventually die. That's what he means by a vain life. The word is hevel but it means vapor or breath. He's saying, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your short life that is like a vapor or a mist that's here for a while and then it goes away. The idea is that if we have a short time, if there's a brevity of life, he says, make certain that you're enjoying that time with the wife whom you love. Don't neglect that thing because of the brevity of life. So marriage and the longevity of it is meant to be enjoyed, Max Anders notes this. He says, The idea that the first few years of a married life are terrific and the rest tolerable, tolerable finds no basis in the Bible. Solomon says to enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your life, not the first few years. And then when things get difficult, ah, oh, you don't enjoy it so much anymore. The idea is it should continue. Justin Buzzard, in his, um, his book, Date Your Wife, he says this. I have this for you on the screen. He says, The most rebellious countercultural thing you could do in our culture is to be happily married until death do you part. Now this morning under this idea I want to I want to I want to share one major way that you and I can begin to play something in within our marriages within our relationships, and it doesn't have to be our marriage relationship. If you're single in here, this applies to you. Any relationship that you have, there is something that you can place within that relationship that will give you and garner an enjoyment and a happiness that would exist between you and other people. And for certain within our marriages, as it pertains to holiness and finding happiness, we can maintain enjoyment in one major way. Now, several years ago, um, I came home from work, and uh, it was in the summertime. I get home around 530. It's still daylight, and, um, and I come in the front door, key in the lock, you know, and open it up. And, and the floor plan on my house, as you walk in, it's open floor plan. You have the little entryway, but you have, it's open to the dining room, kitchen's over here, living room, but you can see right across the living room to the back door, um, my master bedroom is over on this side, as it looks from the front door. Spare bedroom's over here. But I walk in the door this particular day, and as I walk into the house, I look up and I re- recognize that the, the back door, French doors, they're they're open. And I thought, man, that that's strange. I know those were shut this morning. That's weird. I take a few more steps into... The house and I look through this cased opening. I can see the spare bedroom over here and the lights on and the fans on and the closet doors are wide open. And again, I thought, man, that is really strange. I, I I know that wasn't like that when I left this morning. And then it it begins to hit me. I'm like, I've I've been broke into. The very next thought is, are they still here? And then I'm, hey, anybody in my house? You know, like they're yeah, I mean I'm in I'm in the master closet right now. Why are you talking like that? You know, like they're gonna respond to me in some way, but nonetheless, you know, uh, heart rate goes from sixty to one one sixty, you know, like that. Uh, so I'm ba 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 And um, so I just I don't know, I'm just kinda of frozen for just a second, but then I know I in the bedroom on the nightstand I have a pistol um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go get that, you know, and so you know, and I'm coming I'm I'm coming across my house. And if you've been in my house at, at the time, you know, I'm completely exposed coming across that way. And I go into the bedroom and the closet's right here. My back's turned. I'm not checking corners. I mean, if, if they were there, I got, got. but nonetheless, I get there and grab my pistol, you know, and I have this little sense of security, you know, and I know how to use it, but I don't know if I know how to shoot somebody. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm walking around the house and you know, nobody's there. Um, at that point in time, I, I, I see there's dried bird poop on the entertainment center. The doors have been open for a while. But nonetheless, both bedroom doors were open, closet doors open, lights on, fans on. They just walked in, raked their hand on the light switches, and, and they took some things. I did, I did lose some things. I was, I was burgled, so to speak. And as the day went on and the evening went on, you know, and things began to settle down, the deputy finally made it out. Uh, Got his report. I did find out if you ever need one out there, man, have the pistol. But anyways, aside from all that. um, But after the deputy left and I'm sitting there, it's dark. And then, you know, I close the house up. Everything is locked. The blinds are drawn. And I'm sitting there and I don't know if you've ever been stolen from in that way before. It leaves an eerie feeling that exists within you. You know, I've been stolen from. Someone was going through my house and my things. They took my things. But I began to realize as as that night wore on, I didn't sleep too well. But I realized that the most important thing that they took from me was not a few things. They robbed me of my peace. They robbed me of my comfort. They robbed me of my security. And there's something to this idea of security. There's an emotional attachment to a security that we feel. In that particular example, it was around my house and my things. I I no longer felt secure there. I had no peace and no comfort. I did not sleep that night. Though I knew every door was locked, blinds were drawn. I knew I had protection on the nightstand. But I had no peace. I had no security. And that is the thing that should exist within our marriages that would provide a peace and a comfort no matter what comes, for better or worse. If we are instilling security in one another, it doesn't matter what comes. So when it comes to our marriages and this idea of of security and providing security for one another, it comes in how we speak to one another, how we interact with one another. But there's a few things that we can lay out that may help us to begin to plan in some ways to instill security in one another within our marriages. And when we feel secure, we will find an enjoyment that is lasting. Dr. Gary Smalley said in his book, I Promise, he says, Research has convinced me that security is the primary key to a great marriage. He notes that the most supremely secure place that has ever existed on earth was the Garden of Eden. And listen to what he says regarding this. He says, Adam and Eve felt no fear there. Before they sinned, they enjoyed an amazingly intimate relationship with God and each other. The couple felt so secure to one another that God described them as united into one. He says, Nothing came between Adam and Eve, not insecurities, not sharp differences of opinion, not even clothes. He says, They were completely open with one another, no walls, no masks, no fear, no fear. Their marriage blossomed. and He goes on to say that the foundational component of an excellent marriage is a truly secure environment, one that is secure physically, intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally. So we should begin to, as we look at that, as we believe that aspect of it, as we think through our own security and how we feel in our relationships, what plan do we have in place to help input security within our relationships? And here's a few things that I would like to share this morning around how we can begin to plan for such a thing. And number one is prioritize your relationship. Genesis 2, go back to the garden. Genesis 2, 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You have two people that are now joined together into one flesh. That means that relationship forms the primary relationship to which every other relationship should come underneath. So we should prioritize that. But oftentimes life gets busy, does it not? We can get caught up in the rat race of things and our relationship to our spouse can end up being secondary or thirdsies or fourthsies and so on down the list. But it should be prioritized. It should be placed over work, kids, parents, in-laws, friends, hobbies. All of these things are secondary and should be secondary to that relationship. And if that's the case, we should purposefully be pursuing one another in all things. And purposefully means to do something on purpose. Right? So we should be looking for ways to do things together. As it pertains to the church. right? If, if holiness forms our happiness, if our happiness is connected to our holiness and we want to grow in that way, well then why would we not, when we're seeking to do things together, why would we not be praying together? Why would we not be studying God's word together, memorizing scripture together, serving together, plugging into community together? But the more we do things together purposefully, the more we instill security in that relationship. And then we should not just be intentional. I've intended to do a lot of things that I have not done. Can you relate? But when intention meets action, it equals execution. You have to meet, you have to take intention. I intend to do something, you have to put action to that intention, and then you find that you're doing the thing you intended to do. But it's not enough to just intend to do something. So we make plans, and we keep them. So as we pursue one another... As life gets busy and you have kids, you need to plan date nights and you need to, say, keep those plans. Plan many vacations. My wife and I, we've been married for just a handful of years now and and I've struggled to make plans and I've struggled to keep them. I've had an idea and intention to do this thing. I'll speak for my wife. She's had intentions to do things as well. We've made plans to do something, and we've not kept those plans. And we can look back and regret not keeping those plans, because now we have an 11-month-old. It's really do some, hard to do some of those things with an 11-month-old. But it still means we have to make plans, and we have to keep those things. So some things to avoid here. Number one, selfishness, right? Wow, that's pretty obvious. For to prioritize the other person, as we've spoken about honoring one another, loving one another, forgiveness, sacrifice, all of those things, we should be uh, avoiding selfishness, avoid busyness, avoid complacency. We should be active partners instead of passive participants. So as we're making plans to go somewhere, don't men don't just let your wife plan every aspect of that vacation and you just passively sit back and allow her to do all of that work. No, the way you instill security into your wife is you join her in that. Is you take the time to sit down and give your input. Wives, the way you instill security into your husband is you allow him to. Is you listen to his opinion. You take account what he says and you together make plans. So you're active partners and not passive participants in things. And then don't make promises you can't keep. Keep your word, James five twelve. James says, "But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation." As we fail at keeping our word, we say a lot of things. We make promises that we may not even intend to keep, and oftentimes we do this in our busyness. Men, a lot of times this can apply with you and your kids. You're busy with something, your child wants to do something, and hey, yeah, we'll do that later. And you have no intention of returning to that thing. That doesn't place security in your child towards you. But we should be keeping our word. If we're going to say we're going to do something, we need to do that thing so that as Scripture says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to say, I promise or I swear, because your actions have displayed and placed the security in your spouse that there is trust, not distrust, that when you say you're going to do something, they know you're going to do it. That goes a long, deep way as you seek to instill trust in one another. So we prioritize the relationship. Number two is we believe the best. Believe the best. He says, Gary Smalley says, our beliefs generate our thoughts, Our thoughts create our emotions, and our emotions motivate our behavior. Behavior is the end result of a line of things that have taken place that we don't even see. But if we understand where that behavior comes from or seek to understand, we can begin to believe the best about one another instead of the worst. But also, as our thoughts or if our beliefs create our thoughts, our thoughts will inform our beliefs. If we're believing the absolute worst about one another, guess what we're going to see every time is the absolute worst about one another. The more we suspect ulterior motives and impure things, suspicion will always create what it suspects if we're believing the worst. So we believe the best about one another. So when conflict begins to arise, what we believe will directly affect whether or not we remain at our best or we slide into our worst. So when conflict does begin to arise, we should choose to believe that our spouse is for us. We should choose to believe that they love us. Remind yourself that, no, my wife loves me. Despite however this conflict may be, I know she loves me. I know that she is for me. And those thoughts can settle any insecurity that may begin to well up within me. And the way I respond then provides security for her, even in the middle of it. But we should believe that there may be another side to the story. There may be unspoken hurt that's beneath the surface that's driving driving the behavior. We need to believe that we could actually be the cause of that that behavior or that hurt. We should also believe that we're capable of being wrong. Men, you are not always wrong. Contrary to what the world may, may say, You are not always wrong. There's the adage, right, or the saying that that when things go wrong in a marriage, husbands get used to it because you're always going to be the one wrong. That is a lie. And then there's the adage, happy wife, happy life. That is a lie. And if we believe such a thing, we're going to begin to place that thing on our wife. We're going to have our wife being responsible for our own happiness because we believe foolishly that I'm responsible for hers. So as long as my wife is happy, everything's good in my household. That is a lie. And if you operate that way, you will find yourself breeding insecurity, distrust and doubt, resentment and bitterness into your marriage. That's the way the world operates. That's the way the world defines happiness because it's contingent upon circumstances. And in that sense, it places it directly on the wife. And how unfair is that? If you think through it, wives, that you would carry the weight of all the happiness within your household. If you enjoy that, you have a major struggle with pride that you need to confess to the Lord and begin working through. We have a ministry, well, closed now. It was open region Monday nights. But nonetheless, something to begin to work through. But it leads me to the next point. Is that we should believe the truth. We should believe the best about one another. We should believe the truth. If I believe that my happiness depends upon my wife, if it depends upon Casey and what she does, I've given up my free will and placed my happiness in her hands. Now, if she comes to believe this herself, she will never find security as she constantly evaluates her performance on my current mood. And my mood can change, but if she believes she's responsible for my happiness, how exhausting would that be? Can you relate? Walking on eggshells constantly when a mood may change, trying to determine whether or not you're the problem that's caused that in some way. For me personally, I've struggled, I've learned over many years that I struggle with insecurity. I can be insecure about a myriad of things. I've also learned in the handful of years that I've been married is that I can oftentimes, when I'm at my most insecure, it's when my wife is unhappy. Or I perceive her to be unhappy because I bleed the lie that her happiness is dependent upon me and what I do. So I walk on eggshells. I seek to discover what it is that's going on. But if it's dependent upon me, then I'm the one that can change her back to normal as if something's wrong with her and she's not able to feel bad on a particular day. But my insecurity tells me she's unhappy and I've got to figure that out. but I've also learned that I have no clue how to do that because it's not on me to figure that thing out. My job is to make her feel secure. The way I make her feel secure is seek to understand how she presently feels and allow her to be there, but understand that her moving from that place is dependent upon her holiness and her walking with the Lord, not me trying to figure it out so I can fix it for her. It's to help her along the way, to lead her in that. But it's not to make her happy again. But the negative belief that I have, it drives very negative emotions. Those motivate extremely inconsistent behavior that does what? It produces more unhappiness and more insecurity. So we must choose, church, we must choose to believe the truth that our happiness is dependent not upon our spouse but on our holiness. And that holiness is dependent upon us turning from sin to a holy god. Have you ever noticed I want to wrap up with this, but have you ever noticed a um, uh, a dryer outlet is is shaped differently than a standard wall outlet? Anybody ever paid attention to that? The reason for it's purposeful in that. The reason for that is because if you plug a lamp into a dryer outlet, it's, it's going to get you. Cuz a dryer In order for it to operate, it needs 220 volts of electricity. Standard wall outlet is 110. Again, Gary Smalley, he notes that, um, or he points out that humans tend to plug into wrong sources for power and fulfillment. He says this he says, the problem is that we're wired for 220, but we try and plug into 110. In Galatians 220, not 110, we find the real source of lasting fulfillment says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says the 220 principle means allowing Christ and Christ alone to charge us because God designed our internal batteries to be wired for his 220 circuit, not the 110 current of other people. He goes on to note that when you recharge your batteries by plugging into Christ, he will give you more charge than you can hold. And you will, only be, you will not only be full, you will overflow from, him, from his incessant giving. And then it is out of that overflow that you pour into your spouse. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will it be measured back to you? You see the, the pattern of the cycle that exists there? As we connect, as we plug into the source of the power that we were designed for, and we are charged and recharged to our max capacity, and we overflow from that, we give that away. And as we give that away out of that herb overflow, we're still plugged in, and he provides what's more. And this cycle continues over and over and over. It's a cycle of fulfillment that you will find in the energy and the power needed to enjoy a marriage, to provide the security that's needed for the enjoyment that you desire, for the happiness that you want. And it will continue to produce a holiness within us that supports the whole thing. Now back when my house was broken into, The biggest problem of that day was not that my house was broken into. The biggest problem of that day was that that I had a system in place to keep that from happening. But the problem was that system was not plugged in. Want to know the foolish reason why it wasn't plugged in? That system had a backup system in place a battery backup but it also had a protocol that when that battery backup began to go down and it needed to be replaced or recharged the system would alert you with a beep In my foolishness I got tired of the beep and instead of replacing the battery as it was telling me to do I unplugged the system Till the day came that I had no security whatsoever. The doors might as well have been wide open and someone broke in and they took from me the one thing that that system was meant to provide. So for you and I, are in here, for, for, for the Christian in this room right now, you have a power source that is available to you moment by moment of every single day all that you and I have to do is plug into that source of power and we will find the energy, we will find the fulfillment, we will find the happiness that only comes from that source. And it will produce in, a, produce in us a holiness that is dependent upon a holy God that will continue and support the entire thing. Let us not be so foolish as to get tired of hearing the alerts If the Spirit is prompting you in some way, hey, you need to go talk to your wife. You need to seek forgiveness for that. You need to say you're sorry. You need to adjust this behavior. If you have other people in your life, if you're in community or in a journey group and you have people in that journey group that are speaking into your life and they're noting things the way you speak to your spouse, hey, you know you're always kind of cutting down your husband instead of building him up? May we choose to listen to that alert and make the necessary adjustments instead of unplugging from the system altogether and foolishly leaving ourselves wide open. But as we plug into this, it will provide the security required to enjoy a happy marriage for better or worse until death do you part. And you will be, as Solomon says, enjoying life with the one you love all the days of your vain life. But that would be for God's glory and you're good. And that is my prayer for all of us in here. If you're single in here, I pray that for you and all of your relationships. Let me pray for us now. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you, for, thank you for marriage. I thank you for the institution of it, Lord. I thank you that it's not designed for my happiness, Lord. But, but you desire that for me nonetheless. You don't desire that we would enter into marriage together, a man and a woman, and be united into one and then not be happy. I thank you for that, Lord, that, that you, don't, you don't require holiness, but holiness and then unhappiness. Those two things do not go together, Lord, and I thank you for that truth, but I pray that we understand more and more deeply that if we desire to be happy in this life in the sense that matters, in the purest sense, Lord, that we would seek to be made holy by you and we would find that happiness and we would find that played out in the most key of relationships within our marriages as we provide security that comes only from you. I pray that you help us to walk in that, to see that, to realize that, understand that. Um, for your glory, for our good. Lord, we love you and uh, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.